This is Mayo Clinic Talks, a curated weekly podcast for physicians and healthcare providers. I'm your host, Daryl Chutka, a general internist at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. Today's topic is allergy, specifically allergic rhinitis. This condition is extremely common, affecting up to 10 to 30% of children and adults in the United States, and the prevalence is increasing, especially in urban areas. Allergic rhinitis carries a significant economic burden and accounts for at least 2.5% of all healthcare provider visits, 2 million lost school days, and 6 million lost work days per year. The cost for treating allergic rhinitis has almost doubled from 2000 to 2005. With me today is uh, Dr. Gerald Volchak, a physician and chair of the Division of Allergic Diseases as well as a course director for the clinical updates in allergy and immunology course to be held in Coronado, California, July 27th through 29th of 2018. Thanks for coming, Jerry. Thank you for having me. Well, let's start by talking about any non-pharmacologic therapies that patients could use in treating or managing their seasonal allergies. Yeah, there's actually quite a few things that could be done outside of just the medicine realm. One thing to think about first is just timing. Uh, We have a lot of patients with pretty significant allergic rhinitis that like to do a lot of outdoor activities, and you know, in particular uh, exercisers, runners, and if that's done real early in the morning, it tends to be the best time to do that. A lot of times, you know, the pollen just really haven't got up and rolling yet. Dew can help keep that down. But as the day progresses, the wind picks up, air is moving a lot more, that's when the counts will tend to increase. So for a vigorous or, you know, significant outdoor activity, you know, the earlier, the better. Uh, And then also along those lines, as far as exposure goes to these pollens, in the home, it's important especially to keep the bedroom window closed, if at all possible, because these things will just blow into the house just, you know, as they're out out, uh, in the usual air. So keeping the windows closed. And then also, let's say you've you've been outside doing something, uh, now you're coming in for the evening to immediately shower and change clothes because you carry the pollens in your hair, on your clothes, and you continue to get exposed to it that way. But if you shower, you at least get rid of that and then you know, put the clothes in a hamper or somewhere, you know, don't throw them on the bed, you know, somewhere uh, out of the way by the uh, laundry room. I've seen uh, filters advertised for uh, the cooling system for homes. Um, are they effective? Yeah, HEPA filters in general can be helpful. Um, if you're running the air conditioner in, in the house is closed, that's it's probably not going to add a ton. Uh, but if you know doors are open in the home, windows, if you have a HEPA filter in the bedroom, and these are you know kind of room only uh, small smaller uh, components, those can work very well at filtering out some of the pollens that do get into the home. We're seeing a fair number of patients coming in now, and I suspect this is one of the uh, peak seasons for uh, allergic rhinitis, both the spring and the fall. And I think most of our first-line treatment is uh, antihistamines, but what would you consider uh, to be the initial treatment we should be using for uh, allergic rhinitis? 
There's a little bit of debate about this now, but in general, the non-sedating antihistamine would be the, the first choice. And if that handles it, great. But right on its heels are the intranasal steroids. Uh, those are highly effective for this. And if you know marked congestion is part of the symptoms right off the bat, then you may want to use both you know, right from the beginning. We have several options available for the non-sedating antihistamines. Mm-hmm. Are there differences between them? Yeah, they are chemically different, and it does appear that there are some difference in the potencies of those. The funny thing about these non-sedating antihistamines, though, is one may work very well for one person, but not the next person. So there really isn't just a single best one, but in general, from a potency standpoint, the Zyrtec or Cetirizine tends to be the most potent, and the Loratadine or Claritin or Alibert, as it's also uh, known, tends to be on the lower potency side with the Allegra or Fexofenadine in the middle. Um, So you mentioned the intranasal steroid sprays. Let's talk about those. Yeah. And what's interesting with all of these medicines, too, is they used to all be prescription, but now they're essentially almost all available over the counter. So the intranasal steroids, uh, the most common ones used are probably Flonase, Nasacort, Rhinocort. And as far as effectiveness go, I think they're all very similar. And particularly with that nasal congestion part, they could really settle things down, whereas just the plain antihistamine may not be quite as helpful initially with that. You mentioned that they are now over-the-counter, yeah. and I can remember the days when even the non-sedating antihistamines were prescription. So right. our patients are having access to many of the medications that we used to only be able to write prescriptions for. Is there any significant systemic absorption of the steroid with the nasal inhalers? In general, the thought is no, that uh, they appear to be very safe. Um, there are a couple papers saying there may be an association, but I would say the majority of the evidence is th- that's not the case. Okay. Now, I know patients sometimes feel that an inhaler is an inhaler, mm-hmm. and I see patients sometimes using a vasoconstrictor inhaler such as mm-hmm. a phenylephrine, thinking it's the same as a uh, nasal steroid inhaler, but there's some real problems with using those, isn't there? Yeah, major problems, unfortunately. And those medications are also available over-the-counter, and that could create some of the confusion. But those topical decongestants, particularly Afrin, uh, even though they work very well at what they do, they really decongest well, the problem is they cause a a rebound congestion. So they, they really shrink things up, allow people to breathe well through their nose, but if it's used for more than a few days in a row, it results in this rebound congestion where then people have to just continually use the medicine to be able to breathe well through their nose. You have a course coming up July 27th through the 29th in uh, Coronado, California. Yes. You want to tell us anything about your course? Sure. Yeah, we're very excited about it because this is our first uh, Division of Allergy CME conference that we're putting on. The focus uh, of it will be on food allergy and food-related immune problems, 
though we also will be covering asthma, chronic sinusitis, anaphylaxis, immunodeficiency, you know, and a lot of the usual allergy type conditions. But the staff will include uh, pulmonologists, gastroenterologists, and members of our allergy division. So I, I think it's going to be a great conference. Great. Visit ce.mayo.edu slash allergy2018 and register today. Use the coupon code allergy and receive $100 off the registration fee. Now, the majority of patients that I've seen with allergic rhinitis typically have nasal congestion, rhinorrhea, itchy eyes, but an occasional um, patient will have primarily ocular symptoms. Um, Is there something different for them than the traditional antihistamines, nasal steroid sprays? Yeah, there are a number of antihistamine eye drops that could be very effective for for these folks. Um, There's some that are prescription, but now a lot of them also are available over-the-counter. A classic example of an over-the-counter would be Zadator that used to be prescription. That's a potent antihistamine eye drop. One uh, thing to keep in mind when using eye drops is almost all of them across the board could sometimes initially feel a little burning or a little stingy, but if you use a cooled preparation, so put your drop bottle in the refrigerator and then use it, it tends to be much better tolerated. Okay. What should we tell our patients about how to treat their allergic rhinitis? If they can accurately identify the typical months that they have symptoms, should we be recommending any specific time to start their treatments? Yeah, you really want to start it right at the onset because once this whole process gets going, it's, it's a lot harder to, to calm it down. So I would say at the mildest of symptoms, to really start on a regimen, usually again a combination of the antihistamine and a nasal steroid, and to use that on a pretty regular basis through the season that typically gives the person the most trouble. And another error I see patients commonly making is to use the nasal steroid as needed, thinking mm-hmm. they have immediate vasoconstrictor-like effects from that, but they really need to use it on a regular basis, don't they? Yes, and now sometimes people will get a a rather quick response, but usually it's a couple days in that you really start noticing it. Okay, so we have patients who have been on an antihistamine, they're using a nasosteroid inhaler, and they still have symptoms. What's what's the next step? There's a a few different ways to go with that. Uh, One medicine option would be adding Singulair. Um, That also has indication for allergic rhinitis, but it tends to have a mixed bag result. You know, some people will get significant benefit from it. Others really just don't notice much. And we haven't been able to sort that out who's going to respond ahead of time yet. So that's one option. Uh, Other options then would primarily be immunotherapy. Uh, And there's a couple forms of immunotherapy. The FDA has approved sublingual immunotherapy. There's three forms of that. Two of them are for grass allergy and one for ragweed allergy. And then the traditional allergy shots, which are usually highly effective in treating allergic rhinitis. What role does chromalin play in the management of allergic rhinitis? Yeah, chromalin has kind of fallen off the radar a little bit. It's more of a preventive type of medicine, but its potency is pretty slim. 
the recommendations are to start it for a, a week or two before you suspect symptoms. It's more of what's called a mast cell stabilizer to help prevent that histamine release. Uh, but uh, again, because its potency isn't great and you need to be able to time it really well, it's not used as much anymore. Okay. I was reading, and I don't recall where, but they were talking about using non-steroidal anti-inflammatory medications for allergies, and I'd not heard that before. Is that something that's uh, legitimate? Not really. I mean, across the board, where that is used, there are non-steroidal anti-inflammatory eye drops. Acular is an example of that that can be helpful for allergic conjunctivitis. But as far as the nasal symptoms, I'm not aware of any Okay. non-steroidals for that. All right. How about allergy injections? Which patients would benefit from those? Well, really across the board, those with uh, allergic rhinoconjunctivitis, uh, the, when the pollens are the cause, uh, there over 90% of people will have significant improvement. Also, if people are allergic to their pets or, or to dust mite, uh, allergy injections can be very helpful for that also. Mm -hmm. Okay. And finally, what about saline irrigation? I have a few patients who do that, and they just love it. Now, that's also a, a very helpful modality for all of this. Uh, one that's used a lot is the Neomed sinus rinse, uh, where you irrigate the, the nostrils. It's about four ounces of saline solution on each side. It's very safe for the nasal lining, and it helps flush out you know, the different things that were breathed in, and also it helps get rid of mucus. Mm -hmm. Okay. What about the allergy skin tests? Um, are those indicated for everybody, or when should we recommend patients have these tests performed? Yeah, there's, it's kind of a wide swath uh, with that. Uh, some people really want to know what, what are they allergic to, um, and I think that's a reasonable indication to, to check those. It may not change the management if their symptoms are very mild and, and well controlled. The skin tests are primarily done, I would say, in those that have been on or tried a medication but are really just not getting the relief that they would like. This help outlines it more to see if there are any environmental things that should really be pushed. And also, too, you would need skin testing before you would consider the allergy shots because the shots are made of the substances uh, that they're positive to on the skin test. Mm -hmm. Our patients nowadays seem to be traveling a lot. You know, they spend winters in the south, the win uh, summers up here. So they, I imagine they're exposed to different allergens depending on where they are. So they may have allergic symptoms different times in different places. Is that, is that correct? Yeah, definitely. There are some crossover where, you know, there's some of the same allergens and for example, in the United States and all the regions of the United States. But then there are particular tree grass and weed pollens that are specific for the southeast, for the southwest, and, and for like the upper Midwest. Mm -hmm. We see occasional patients who have allergy-like symptoms, but they're year-round. And in my experience, some of them respond to the traditional treatment, but these are usually rather difficult patients to, to really get rid of their symptoms. Mm -hmm. How do we handle those patients? Yeah, when it's year-round, it, it can be hard to tease out, is it an allergic rhinitis or non-allergic rhinitis? And for the most part, we rely on the skin test for that because dust mite, 
pets and certain molds can cause year-round symptoms. And if there's positivity there, then that would be the focus for the treatment. If the skin tests are negative, then we're dealing with a perennial non-allergic rhinitis. And for those folks, just the plain antihistamines tend not to be real helpful. Mm -hmm. It usually requires more aggressive intranasal treatment, and that includes steroids, intranasal antihistamines, and the saline irrigations. Do we know much about the uh, non-allergic rhinitis in terms of what's actually triggering these symptoms? It's not completely clear, but it's thought to be more of a vasomotor process. So meaning the, the way the nerves are in the lining of the nose, they just are more sensitive, and they result in this congestion and drainage-type pattern. All right. So we've been talking about allergies with Dr. Gerald Bolchek, a physician and chair of the Division of Allergic Diseases. Jerry, thank you so much for coming here today. Oh, thanks for this opportunity. Many of you have asked how you can experience Mayo Clinic medical education firsthand. See our full catalog of live and online CME courses at ce.mayo.edu. If you've enjoyed Mayo Clinic Talks podcasts, please subscribe. Stay healthy and see you next week.